Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 502 for the 17th of July, 2016. This week, with the help of a few useful plugins, Thunderbird is a highly capable email application that runs on Windows, OS X, and Linux. One of the most useful utilities in Windows, the Event Viewer, is being used by fraudsters to frighten users. And here's what you need to know to avoid the con. In short circuits, the Washington Post offers a year's worth of free online access to anybody who subscribes to almost any other newspaper. This is genius, and I'll explain why. The sun and moon calculator is helpful if you need to predict where either will be, and an update makes it even better. In spare parts, which you'll find only on the website, Mac users have to watch out for two new malicious apps launched within the past week. Let's consider the possibility of voting online someday. The FDIC is in trouble for trying to hide numerous long-term break-ins that exposed a lot of personal information. And even though Apple doesn't include a security slot with its notebook computers, you can add one for a price. Thunderbird is the email client from Mozilla, the same organization that created Firefox. If you don't care for Outlook or the email clients provided by Windows or OS X, it's an application you really should consider. It's the perfect choice for those who use both Windows computers and Macs because it runs on both platforms. Thunderbird includes a calendar that, when you combine it with a downloadable add-in, can communicate with the Google Calendar. Because of the way the Google Calendar works, you can see family members' schedules or those of your co-workers. Thunderbird supports both POP3 and IMAP protocols with or without encryption. It offers multiple email accounts, extensive message filtering, formatting, templates, and signature files. Add-ons can be downloaded and installed. These and the program's own built-in tools make it far more customizable than the applications such as Outlook. While it doesn't offer as many features as the BAT, a Windows-only application, the interface makes finding and using the existing features a bit easier. Tabbed email browsing, smart searches, custom folders, and spam filtering make Thunderbird a good choice, and it works well with most email services. The look and feel under both Windows and OS X is nearly identical once you take into account the various operating system-specific differences. That's an important consideration for those who use both platforms. The expected differences include locating preferences under the Thunderbird menu on a Mac under Tools on the PC, some keyboard differences, and the Mac's propensity to separate applications from their menus. I have a couple of screenshots on the website this week. You'll see that calendar information is displayed on the right. Messages are in the main column on both the PC and the Mac. And the calendar itself can display any number of calendars you have access to via the Google Calendar, again, on both PC and Mac. If you're currently using some other email program and want to convert to Thunderbird, you might be able to import messages from the other application directly into Thunderbird. 
If not, Aid for Mail has an application that will convert from nearly any email application format to Thunderbird. It'll cost you 30 or $40, though. The program is licensed for two weeks, that's the $30 option, or a full year for $40. You'll find a link to the Aid for Mail website on the TechBiter Worldwide website. But try this first. I've also found that it's possible with at least some email clients to simply drag messages between the applications. And earlier I mentioned add-ons. I consider several to be absolutely essential. One of them is already included in the default Thunderbird installation. That one's called Lightning. It's there by default and it provides the basic calendar function. Then you want to download Provider for Google Calendar at least if you want to synchronize your calendar with the Google Calendar. That's necessary. Manually sort folders. By default, Thunderbird places email accounts in the order you create them. That might not be the way you want to see them. Also, folders within an email account are sorted alphabetically. That may also not be your preference. This add-on solves both of those issues. Thunderbird does have a robust filtering function, but Quick Filters makes the job even easier. It allows users to drag and drop messages and then interprets the action to create filters that can then be fine-tuned. I found Smart Template 4 to be an interesting add-on. It doesn't even begin to approach the functionality of the bat, but it does provide several useful functions that can be used in conjunction with Thunderbird's built-in signatures and templates. It seemed to me that Thunderbird had no real easy built-in method to send a lot of blind copy messages. A plugin called Use BCC Instead fixes that problem by watching the number of recipients, and you get to set the number, and then suggesting BCC when the list exceeds the size you set. If you subscribe to email newsletters that often contain unwanted advertisements, take a look at Adblock Plus and Element Hiding Helper for Adblock Plus. There's also Address Books Synchronizer. Those who run Thunderbird on more than one computer might want to share an address book. It's easy enough to just copy the files from one computer to another, but you have to remember which one is the master copy. That always gets in my way. The developer clearly notes that this is not a real synchronization tool. It just exchanges the files. For this reason, you need to establish a system that will result in synchronization. The FTP option does not offer secure FTP. That's a limitation of Thunderbird. And the function that's intended to upload changes automatically when the program closes sometimes fails. The upload can be scheduled, and it's easy to remember to upload a file if you've made changes during the session. So it's not perfect, but it really is useful. If you're thinking about Thunderbird, there is one little cloud out there on the horizon. Mozilla is reported to be looking for someone to buy their gently used Thunderbird. The email client is popular, but management apparently wants to concentrate on the Firefox browser. That's where they make their money, after all. Ars Technica quoted Mozilla chairman Mitchell Baker late last year. Many inside Mozilla, he said, including an overwhelming majority of our leadership, feel the need to be laser-focused on activities like Firefox that can have an industry-wide effect. More ominously, he said, with due respect to Thunderbird and the Thunderbird community, we have been clear for years that we do not view Thunderbird as having this sort of potential. Many people today use online email clients such as Google's Gmail and Microsoft's Outlook. Even so, large numbers of people still use computer-based email programs such as Microsoft's Outlook, 
Yes, both the client and the online service have the same name. Why did they do that? Thunderbird is popular, and its loss would be felt. Mozilla is likely to continue providing security updates at least, and any updates that are shared with Firefox. The Mozilla blog explained it this way in December of last year. Practically, what this means that in 2016, Thunderbird will finally be able to accept donations from users directed toward the update and maintenance of Thunderbird. In the long run, the blog said, Thunderbird needs to rely on our users for support and not expect to be subsidized by the revenue from Firefox. We welcome this help from the Mozilla Foundation in moving toward our goal of developing independent sources of income for Thunderbird. And the latest major release, 45, released in April, included several new features, so development isn't stalled. Check the TechBinder Worldwide website for a list of some of the major improvements in version 45. Clearly, work is continuing on the application, and updates are pushed out, at least occasionally. So the bottom line for Firebird is five cats. It's quick, it's easy to use, it's multi-platform, and it's free. It's hard to ask for more than what Thunderbird offers. And even if Mozilla decides to end support for the application, it'll continue to be viable for many years. In other words, if you're not satisfied with your current email client, Thunderbird is well worth looking at. I had considered a 4-cat rating instead of 5 because of the concern over its future. Eventually, I decided that a 5-cat rating is both accurate and deserved. You'll find additional details on the Mozilla website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. My name is Mike, and I'm from Windows Support. That's what the caller says, but his voice makes it sound more like his name should be Ankit Singh, Raj Patel, or Ashok Kumar. If you've listened to the TechBiter Worldwide podcast or read the blog for more than a few months, you undoubtedly know not to trust these callers. They are not from Microsoft, and all they really want is to relieve you of your money. But they can be convincing. They'll explain to you that they have received a notification from your computer that a problem exists. Then they'll tell you to open the Windows Event Viewer and prove it to you. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see a screenshot there. The caller will probably guide you to a view like that, and then suggest that you click the word Level. That will sort the messages by severity. Then they'll tell you to scroll to the Error section. Look, they'll say, see all those errors? Your computer is in serious danger. What they won't tell you is that any computer will have hundreds of error messages in the log. In most cases, these were momentary errors that the operating system caught and corrected. If you have any critical errors in the log, they will undoubtedly use that to frighten you even more. Well, my computer has four critical errors, three in 2015 and the most recent in March of this year. What are these? I took a look at them. All four errors were events that involved rebooting without shutting down properly. This happens when a process freezes the system or the computer loses power. The creep on the telephone will want you to sign up for a service contract. Of course, he can fix your computer. The next step sometimes involves logging on to your computer with a remote management application. And allowing that, of course, exposes the computer to malware or other mischief. Wouldn't it be great if somebody could explain how the event viewer works? Well, as it turns out, somebody can. 
check out the How To Geeks article on the Event Viewer. There is a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. As the How To Geek, whose real name is Lowell Headings, explains, the biggest problem with Event Viewer is that it can be really confusing. There are lots of warnings, errors, and informational messages, and without knowing what it all means, you can assume, incorrectly, that your computer is broken or infected when nothing is really wrong. The article explains the interface, describes the meanings of the various columns of information, and explains that there are always going to be errors and warnings in the event log. You can't solve all of them, nor should you want to. The most important thing is to use the event viewer to troubleshoot problems you're already having, not try to find problems that you don't know about yet. Headings then explains how to set up a custom view that will eliminate much of the clutter. For best results, he said, you'd want to filter by just the specific things you want to see, probably critical error and warning, then click the specific event logs you want this view to look through. He also covers which logs will contain the most useful information when you're trying to find the cause of a real problem. So, happy bug squishing. In short circuits, it seems to me that somebody at the Washington Post is a genius. Newspapers are in trouble. Only old people seem to buy the paper version, and nobody wants to pay for online content. Advertisers have been fleeing newspapers for years, as online services attract auto dealers that used to spend a lot of money on newspaper advertising. Other profitable services, such as the want ads, are being replaced by internet-based services that are free or low cost. So what's the answer? Well, you already know that Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post in 2013 for $250 million. Bezos runs a relatively successful business called Amazon.com. He knows how to please customers. Bezos reportedly once said, there are two kinds of companies, those that work to try to charge more and those that work to charge less. We will be the second. And that is what he's doing with the Post. He's the genius I referred to earlier. My hometown newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch, recently sent me a message that said I could receive a one-year free subscription to the digital edition of the Washington Post. After many years of receiving the print edition of the New York Times, I already subscribed to the digital edition. So why not add the Washington Post? I signed up. You can't make much money giving things away for free, but at least there are few incremental costs involved with a newspaper's website. The costs are only minimally different whether one person or a million people view the site. So giving away a free subscription for a year is a good idea. In 365 days, a free subscriber might come to value the information provided by the newspaper. In that case, the free subscriber might decide it's worth $10 or $15 a month for access to all the articles. The New York Times, on the other hand, usually offers a reduced price for just a few weeks. That's not as smart because it's not long enough for people to develop the habit. The Bezos approach at the Post has, at least in my estimation, a much greater chance of success. If you'd like to see just how many newspapers offer that free one-year subscription to the Post, there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Click that. It'll open a very long list 
to show the Post's partner program participants as of the 1st of July. If I have a concern, it's this. Big city newspapers such as the Chicago Tribune, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and the Columbus Dispatch may not be able to offer enough perceived value for people to consider opening their wallets. Additionally, small-town papers, such as my hometown Bell Fountain Examiner, might be in even worse situations. But I'm sure that Bezos will see that the Washington Post survives. find the sun or the moon? You might wonder here, do we really need software to help us locate the sun and the moon? You might consider this to be a silly question, but the location of the sun or the moon isn't as obvious as you might think. Will we even see the moon today? If so, will it be visible during the day or the night? How much of the moon will be visible? When will the sun rise or when will it set? And where? Not just east and west, where east and west? These are questions that are important to astronomers and photographers. Anybody who needs an answer that's more precise than just up in the sky might need an application like this. I described the Sun and Moon calculator last year. Now it's been updated. Solar panel angle is new on the sunscreen, and a percentage illumination is new on the moon screen. Additional improvements include a revised introduction in the help file, improved instructions for creating locations, expanded information about eclipses in the help file, and new internet links in both the software and the help file. You'll see a screenshot on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The interface actually has changed very little. You select a location, either one that's built in or one you create. The program then displays information about time zone, latitude, and longitude. You'll see the time of dawn and sunrise, the time of sunset and dusk. My example shows the screen for the sun, so you'll see each half hour that the sun is visible, you'll see exactly where it is. At 6.30 in the morning, for example, the sun will be just slightly above the horizon, 1.6 degrees, and at compass point 56.1. That puts it in the northeast sky. Sunrise and sunset times may not be exactly correct. The developer notes that the figures for the sun are accurate to within two minutes, and those for the moon are accurate to within three minutes. That is because these times depend on local meteorological conditions, so attempts to attain higher accuracy are not justified. If you need to know when to expect the sun or the moon to appear and where they'll appear, this can be a most useful application. You'll find more information on the Douglas Software website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And while you're there, check out Spare Parts. Mac users have to watch out for two new malicious apps launched in the last week. Let's consider the possibility of online voting someday. The FDIC is in trouble for trying to hide numerous long-term break-ins that exposed a lot of personal information. And even though Apple doesn't provide a security slot with its notebook computers, you can add one for a price. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. 
the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.